0: So, in our time of vacancy, sometimes it can be exciting because we don't know what God has planned, and sometimes it can be scary and a bit uncertain because we don't know what God has planned. Um, but let's, as we say our vacancy prayer now, let's remember that we are children of God and that God has it in control. Unchanging God, thank you for building your church here in Camborne. We are richly blessed by your ever-present help. At this time of vacancy, we call upon you. Lead us and protect us through these uncertain times. Guide us by your spirit to heed your voice and do your will. Unite us in your love and purpose and make us faithful in your service. Eternal God, source of transformation and new beginnings, We trust you for the future of your church in this place. May it be a shining light for this community, drawing others into the fold of your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And Steve is going to bring us our readings for today.
1: So we're going to kick off with Ephesians chapter two, and that's on page one one zero eight. We're going to read the first ten verses. That's page one one zero eight. Made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then we're going to flip back to page um, 946, the last bit of Mark, uh, Matthew, sorry. So that's page 946. And it'll be Matthew. check yeah, 28. Great commission. And it ends, if you're going to remember one line of the Bible. This is a, the end line is a really good one to remember at all times, It's my opinion. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the words of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Steve. Uh, David is speaking to us this morning. So let's pray. Father God, may David's words be your words to us this morning. We pray that your word would change our heart and our lives. Amen.
2: You can guess what I'm about to say. Don't make me say it. Anyone guess? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Let's pretend we like each other. Come on. Thank you. Seriously, it makes it much easier to uh, do this if there's not an ocean of space between us. Thank you. Right, I'm excited this morning. I hope you're excited. These are amazing readings I've been given. So thank you to Kath Price who planned this series. Um, Yeah, there's some great stuff in here. Yesterday evening, Infinity War... Marvel's Avengers Infinity War became the fastest film to gross $1 billion at the global box office. Uh, uh, s- superhero cinema uh, defines um, popular cinema and popular culture in many ways. Um, and I, it won't surprise you to learn I'm a tremendous nerd and uh, deeply love superhero cinema. Can anyone tell me what uh, the first and last line of the 2002 film, Spider-Man, which in many ways kicked off uh, this kind of current era of superhero movies. Can anyone tell me what the first and last line of that movie is? I'll give you a clue. It's uh, Peter Parker speaking a voiceover. Sorry? No, I'll be back. No, that's a good guess, though. <laughs> that's a really good guess, but it's not right. I am Spider-Man. Very good. The, the first, well done. Big round of applause for Chris Tuffett. <laughs> the first line of Spider-Man 1 is, who am I, are you sure you want to know? And then we watch the movie, and in voiceover at the end, um, he says, who am I? I am Spider-Man. Um, and you see him swinging through the city, and then it crashes into a early noughties rock song. And the credits, and it's, is brilliant, but superhero cinema from then, which was the first big hit, right up until infinity, which came out a few weeks ago, and it's just made a billion dollars, are to a great extent about that question, who am I? And in the light of who I am, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Spider-Man, or Captain America, or Iron Man? What does it mean for us to be children of God? That's what we're going to be exploring this morning. Um, Starting in Ephesians. Sorry about that feedback. Starting in Ephesians. um, But first I want to take you back to the book of Exodus, where a young man is wrestling with this very question. Who am I? What does it mean to be the person I am? That man's name was Moses, born uh, into a slave people but adopted and raised as a prince of Egypt. And he then uh, went into, um, uh, into hiding after he murdered someone, and he, you can only imagine, he, uh, in all those years he spent in the wilderness and kind of um, starting a family and um, his profession as a, a, a shepherd, I think, um, him wrestling with this, what does it mean to have been born a slave? What does it mean to have been raised a prince? Who am I? And then one day he met a God who sent him to go and free the, uh, the slave people he'd been born into. And he asked God a question. And the question was, who are you? And so God answers the question. When, he, when God thinks, who am I, he answers the question. And the, question, the answer is, I am. I am. God is the bedrock of existence. So his answer to the question is, I am. And so Moses went in the knowledge that God was, and that became part of his identity. And he went and he spoke to uh, his adopted father, Pharaoh. And, you know, it's a long story, but after some time, the, uh, the, he led the people who had once been in slavery into freedom. And these 12 tribes began to work out what their identity was as a united people. And that's what uh, really the rest of the Old Testament is about. It's about them figuring out what that meant and what the answer to that question, who am I or who are we was. So now we turn to uh, Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's the first three verses. Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Ephesians in response to a crisis the early church was having about their identity, about who they were. It's called the Judaizing crisis. Have you heard of this? It's really important. Okay, Uh, or not most necessarily, many of Paul's letters are written to address this crisis, this controversy, and the controversy was this. Are Christians a type of Jew, or are they something new, are they something different? Because in the early church, there were people who had been raised as Jews and had then become Christians. And they were saying that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who became Christians, had to become Jews first. And it was an identity crisis in the early church. And uh, Paul spends a lot of his letters uh, speaking directly to this situation. And Paul very much comes down on Christians as an identity and as a group is something new. And so when we, who are not born Jewish, become Christians, we do not first need to become Jewish with all that entails. Um, So that's the context into which this is written. And he starts, Paul starts talking about this by saying who we once were. We were once dead in our sins. We were once a slave to the ruler of this world. Our identity was that we were dead. Sin's a technical word. Just means um, preferencing your own way and your own answers to the question of who am I and what does that mean over God's answers to those questions. That's all sin is. It's about preferencing what we want for ourselves and what we think is right for us and who we think we are over who God says we are and what God wants for us. And Paul says, everyone, Gentile and Jew alike, start in that position. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So this is our new identity. We start just as the Uh, Israelites started in Egypt, enslaved to sin, in, in, in slavery and death. And God by his mercy gives us a new identity which is to be saved and to be alive in Christ. So that is your identity. Your identity is that you are alive in Christ and that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. But what does that mean? There are three things Paul kind of lays out in this passage. Firstly, it is by grace you have been saved. So we are saved, and we are saved by a thing called grace, which is the mercy and love of God, and his generosity in taking us from that place where we were necessarily objects of his wrath and giving us a new identity as people who are alive in Christ. Secondly, uh, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So not only are we saved but we've been raised to be seated with Christ and to share in the innumerable immeasurable riches of God's grace. I Went on a bit of a tangent in my planning this week. I thought what I'll do is I'll have a look and see if I can figure out what maybe a few of the uh, innumerable riches of God's grace are and throw them up on the screen. Um, this is what I found. <laughs> I'm not expecting you to read them all now. I have. Uh, there is a printed version of it on the trolley over there. Please, if you want to study any of this later, pick it up on your way out because I highly commend to you uh, the exercise of sitting down, even with two or three of these passages, reading around them a bit. Um, And this is kind of, many of these are unpacked in three or four different places uh, in the New Testament. This is just the kind of first mention. This is what we have become inheritors to in our new identity as children of God, as those who have been made alive in Christ. (coughs) We're allowed to believe. We're chosen. We get spiritual gifts down here. All of those things which Paul talks about elsewhere. The things which he's given you to serve him and serve the church. For me, maybe writing and speaking. For other people, it's administration or worship. Bless you guys. The Heasleys uh, stepped in. There was no one on the road for worship this week and the Heasleys stepped in at the 11th hour. Bless you guys for using your gifts in that way. Yes, I think that's appropriate. (laughs) So, he gives us these spiritual gifts which we can use to serve uh, and bless the church and to serve him. This is a fun one. Causes thanksgiving to overflow as the grace reaches more and more people. Gives us joy in hardship and generosity in poverty. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I don't believe this is a comprehensive list. I don't believe that even if you worked much harder looking through the New Testament to find things, you would be able to come up with a comprehensive list. This is part of what it means to work out our identity. But part of our identity is we become inheritors of his incomparable riches. So we have this identity. We're saved by grace. We have access to all of this wealth that God gives us. And there's a third part to this new identity. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created to do good works. That's the third part of our identity. So, what are the good works? That we do. In a moment, we're going to turn to Matthew and explore that a bit further. But first, I just want to draw your attention to verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are called to do good works. We are called to live righteous lives. But hear me, your identity as children of God, your identity as saved righteous individuals is not contingent upon those works. God calls you saved and there is nothing you can do to stop yourself being saved. You can't lose that just as you can't gain it more. You can't do better at it either. It is a free gift of God, and the things you do, even though we are called to be righteous, the things you do do not affect that status, do not change that identity as children of God. Many of us know this already, but it bears repeating, and if you do not know this deeply in your heart, you need to hear it. Your identity as children of God is not dependent on the things you do. And if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, in fact, if you don't remember anything else from any sermon you've ever heard in your entire lives, remember that fact, you are children of God and there is nothing you can do to change it. You are children of God. That is your identity. So even as we work out what that means, that remains your identity. We are children of God. And so we turn to Matthew. In Exodus, as Moses led the people into the wilderness and they began to uh, start, began to start, uh, as they started to um, find their identity as the people of God. Moses uh, climbed a mountain and he met with God and God gave him uh, what we call the law the standard of living, the uh, code of behavior that the Israelites were to follow. And in Matthew, the writer Matthew is is trying to show Jesus as the new Moses. If you read Matthew all in one sitting, as I did this week, and I highly recommend it as as an activity takes a couple of hours. The book of Matthew is structured to make you see that Jesus is Moses, or a new Moses. It begins with Jesus being recognized by foreign powers as the prince of Israel, the king of Israel, newly born. Just as Moses was born uh, into a royal family, raised in a royal family. As we go through the book, Jesus' teaching is arranged into five blocks, just as the teaching of Moses is arranged into the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first of those blocks in Matthew 5 is a sermon Jesus teaches when he climbs a mountain, just as Moses climbed the mountain and received the law. And the new law Jesus gives... Perhaps clues us into what Paul meant when he says we're created to do good works. If we look through Matthew 5, we see that a righteous person doesn't just not murder as it says in the law, but doesn't harbor anger in their heart. Doesn't just not commit adultery, but doesn't harbor lust in their heart. Doesn't make a promise and then not follow through on it. A righteous person doesn't just love those who love them, but loves their enemies. A righteous person doesn't use their righteousness and their religion to put down the righteousness and religion of others. They pray in secret. They fast in secret. They give to the poor in secret because if God knows what you've done and you know what you've done, then it's irrelevant that other people see you. But if you're using that to show off, maybe you're not so righteous after all. A righteous person doesn't worry about money, doesn't spend time distracted away from God by concerning themselves with where's the money coming from, because they know everything they have comes from God and that God will provide. A righteous person doesn't judge the righteousness of others, a righteous person uses their giftings to serve the Lord. And as we continue to walk through Matthew, we see Jesus starts to come into conflict with the Pharisees, the experts in the law Moses brought. And he tells them again and again and again, you haven't understood the essence of what you've studied. Twice, twice, Jesus says, go away and study this phrase, I have desired mercy. And not sacrifice. The law was not there to impose rules and the trappings of religion onto the people. The law was there to express the love and mercy of God to all people. But the Pharisees had turned it into a heavy burden, into a way of telling people that they were outside. But Jesus said, even though he raised the standard, even though he said it's not good enough to not murder, but you also have to not hate, he raised the standard, but he said my burden is light because I provide the crash mat for when you fail. And I am your assurance that your identity is secure. So he comes into conflict. Pharisees who couldn't see that, and the Pharisees begin to hate him, and they begin to plot against him. Towards the end of the gospel, they have him arrested. They have him flogged and nailed to a cross. And in the closing chapter we read from this morning, we see Jesus raised to life. Paul takes that as the guarantee of our salvation. For if Christ has tasted death and has come back from it, we no longer taste death. We are no longer slaves to sin and dead in our sins because Christ has taken that death for us and has proven that he has beaten it by being raised again to life. And the disciples in the closing words of the gospel see Jesus raised to life and he says to them this, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Where once he was recognized at his birth as the prince of Israel. Now he is the master of all creation. Therefore, in the light of that knowledge, go and make disciples of all nations. Tell them what I have taught you. Teach them my teaching. Tell them this these, these moral codes which I've given you, tell them of my grace. Tell them of God's mercy. And the gift which has been freely given to you, go and give to others. Because I am with you and I rule all creation. So who are we? We are the children of God irrevocably, undeniably, unshakably children of God. What does that mean? It means we're saved. It means we're the inheritors of his wonderful, glorious, innumerable, infinite generosity and grace and riches. And what do we do? Well, we do good works. We live as he calls us to live. And then we go and we shine a light to our community and to our world knowing that Jesus, who is empowered with authority over all creation, goes with us until the end of time. So know your identity and go and bless the world. Amen.
0: Thank you, David.